Hey, Chef. How you doing? It's Thursday. Getting ready for that big weekend coming up. You got your feet up today, I hope. If you're feeling tired and wired, here's a couple things you can do before we get into this week's episode. A couple things you can do to get yourself prepared for the onslaught of your weekend. We all know we all work weekends and we're in food service. That's when everybody wants to party and go out to eat and have a good time and, you know, holidays and weekends. So tip number one for you, if you're tired and wired, and you you know you are, if you've been at this for any length of time whatsoever, sit down and make a list of 10 things that you love about yourself. Real things, not like your outfit or how much money you've got or your fancy car, none of that. Think about what makes you rock, what makes you yourself, what makes you special. And when you're done doing that, pick your favorite out of the 10. And what I'm really talking about here is superpowers. We're talking about things like you can smile instead of hitting somebody. You can make eggs 500 different ways and they always come out right. You can fall asleep in 30 seconds flat when your head hits the pillow. You are honest even when you want to lie. You um, read the best bedtime stories to your kids. You are a faithful spouse. These are all things that are superpowers. Um, Sense of humor, being creative, um, coming up with crazy solutions under pressure. Think about things like that today. And without any further ado, let's get right into this week. Um, This week I'm talking about the Climate Ride. It's my favorite client. Um, It's a nonprofit group and they travel the world on bicycles and they get together and learn about how to prevent climate crises. And it's a beautiful thing. They're always speakers every night. They've got a really tight schedule. They ride their bikes all day, have a picnic in the middle. And then after dinner, they have a special speaker come. My favorite speaker that I can think of now out of the 10 years that I catered for them was a woman who, um, I don't remember her name, but she was on a sailboat and she encountered the, um, the plastic island that was, I think at the time it was eight miles across, something crazy like that. And she talked about it. She had a slideshow and there's just some really amazing things that they learned as they went through this process of raising awareness for the climate. So that being said, put your feet up and take a little break and enjoy this week's episode of Tired and Wired, A Chef's Lament. One of my favorite clients I ever, ever had was a repeat annual um, adventure. That's the best way to put it. It's called theclimateride.org. And these people raise awareness for the climate. And they do that by sponsoring bike tours, bicycle tours all over the world. It's just spectacular. And in that part of the world, it is spectacular to ride your bike. So, of course, they would have one there too. And every single year, we would pack up five days worth of food breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, no, not lunch. I take that back. They handled their own little lunch picnics, just breakfast and dinner. And we would follow them in campgrounds. They usually had 150 to 175 people. And at the beginning of this 10-year date with Destiny that we had with each other, it was anybody 
that wanted to sign up and raise, I don't know what their minimum is. I want to say it's five grand that they have to fundraise to be able to attend the ride. And then they get spoiled. It's really cool. They have tents ready for them, or they can stay in nearby hotels. They've got big um, moving trucks and vans, and they've got support crew. They got 25 people on their support crew, plus my catering crew of a half dozen that takes care of these, these, these riders. And they've got videographers and this just, it's just a really spectacular thing. They've got banks of um, uh, places to charge your cell phones and your whatevers. And there's this whole tech counter that's just a mile long and they just haul the bikes for them and store them and just do all these things. It's really, really cool. And they've got merch so you can go get your hoodies and your hats and whatever's. And then they have special speakers every night. So the first year we did it, there were normal people that were not bicyclists that wanted to participate. They cared about the climate. They were going to raise money and they were going to do this really cool thing. But what they didn't realize is when you sit on a bike for 65 to 100 miles, it'll change you. And not necessarily in a good way. So I could see this change happening every single time we get together for a meal. Because one of the requirements with uh, the director was that I attend the buffet myself and greet everybody myself. And that set the tone. And I loved it. That was my favorite part of my work. Well, that's not the only thing I loved, but I did enjoy that a lot. And there was also another rule that the food had to be divided out because on the West Coast, everybody has a food passion. There was a table that finally, I, and it took me a long time to figure this out, but what we eventually had to do was a separate table for gluten-free slash vegan slash life-changing allergies. And that table usually took care of maybe five to 10 people. And then there was a, a good chunk of people who were vegetarian. And then there was a bigger chunk of people who were omnivores. So you could see over time that people would change what they were eating throughout the week. So I had to compensate for that as well. But the beginning of the ride required that I have separate pots and pans, separate food, separate serving stuff for anybody who was vegan, gluten-free or other special allergies. And this is all in a campground, mind you. And half the time there was a drought. So we'd run out of water here and there. And it was quite an experience. And that first year, there were people who were coming out who were just so dirty dog tired by the time they got back for from the first day of riding maybe 60 miles they were bawling they were sobbing like a three-year-old who didn't get a nap and it was so sad to watch them because they were just like what have i done to myself i got four more days of this i'm not gonna live through this and they were just in a panic because they didn't understand what it's like to ride a bicycle for you know all day long on the mountain roads and in the summertime whatever the hot weather was surprise or rain or whatever bugs glass broken on the side of the highway cars coming around the corner too fast hitting the, the white line all of it it was just a super traumatic experience <laughs> and one such person the first year we decided to call her cinnamon because she was just she looked like she belonged um, in a strip club in um, Russia. She had, she was tall and broad shouldered and just full of life. This woman was just hair done, big, full hair, makeup, 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 makeup. And remember, this is a dirty, dusty campground. And we're talking primitive. She had to stay in a tent. It wasn't with cabins. 
there was no AAA or, or what is that um, KOA campground around. It was just nasty, dirty. You've got to get your water from a spigot that's dripping onto the ground kind of place. And the girl shows up, this woman, excuse me, this woman shows up with white tights, a white top, a white fur jacket, and knee-high fur boots. The boots with the fur, they looked good on her, but not in a campground. So all of a sudden, this woman is livid. I don't even know if she rode a bike. I don't know if she just went along to support somebody else, but I don't see how she's going to ride a bike with those boots on, first of all. And I was shocked. So the first day she comes around and she is wondering who's carrying her luggage. She thinks she has a personal butler with her. And she's screaming and hollering, comes over to our kitchen tent. And, she, and we're all wearing t-shirts and jeans because that's the kind of job it is. We're not even wearing regular catering clothes at this stage because it's just outdoorsy, really good food, um, buffet style, eat it fast and get back to your business kind of a thing. There's no pomp and circumstance other than the food better be good and plentiful. So <clears throat> she comes up and says, where's my luggage? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am. That's not my department. You might want to check over there. Those big trucks probably have what you need in it. And so she wheels around and she started, I started seeing a pattern. Every time I turned around, this woman was expecting somebody to answer a question for her that had to do about her personal comfort. And then she'd turn around and wheel off before she even heard the rest of their answer with great disdain, just like we were all beneath her. And over time, she started getting a reputation. People couldn't even tolerate her bullshit. So as the days went on, this woman was more and more annoyed by the food and not understanding that she couldn't order from a menu. And I wanted to say, woman, we're in a campground in the middle of nowhere. The nearest little tiny grocery store is an hour away. Didn't you see that when you're riding your bike with your fancy white boots on? But, you know, you can't say that. You just have to smile and do the toxic positivity routine and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there'll be something you'll like better tomorrow. And there, you'll just have to, you know, make do with what we have here. I'm so sorry this isn't what you wanted. I thought that they circulated the menu before the event happened, you know, and, and play that off. But, of course, she's wheeled off and talking to somebody else at this point. She's not even waiting for your response. And after a while, she was so rude to every single person on their support side and our our own catering team that she was asked to leave. So to make peace, to be able to stay, she brought over a little tiny two ounce can of sauerkraut and handed it to me and said, could you please put this on the buffet with, for, with the dinner tonight? That's my, my gift to you. <laughs> and so I thanked her profusely <laughs> because she really meant it. And the woman got to stay. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen in my life. I just couldn't figure it out. And to this minute, I still don't know if she ever got on a bike or if she was just there to be somebody's cheerleader or what, what her story was. But I noticed that by the next year, they had tightened things up to the point where you had to be a cyclist to be able to participate. Because that first year, everybody realized there was sobbing maniacs at the buffet. There'd be, there was one lady that walked up and she asked me a question about the food at the time. And I gave her the answer. And of course, I'm polite. That's my favorite thing to do in the world is be polite to people. And she's just spot, starts sobbing. This is, I don't know, day or two or three into the ride. You just hate me because I'm vegetarian. <laughs> just bawling, bawling. You just hate me because I'm vegetarian is what she said. 
<laughs> and so at that point we realized we had to separate the food a little bit better. I don't even know what the story really was other than she was having an emotional letdown like massage therapists experience when someone has an emotional release on the table. That's the best I could come up with. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that I blessed the director's hearts. They were a team of three at first and they, they totally grew over time. This company has just really done wonders in the 10 years that I worked with them. Every year they do more and more and more, but they were so diplomatic and they were so good. And one of them knows everybody's name. He'll meet you once and he will know your name forever. And he'll remember it even while he's speaking. He's got his funny little jokes and he wears funny hats all the time. Polar bear hats are his favorite. And then the other one is this woman who actually, she's this totally buff athlete out of Montana and she's got little children. And one year she was, she had a newborn and she packed that baby on the bike and rode with the riders throughout the, the week. It was really impressive or crazy. One of the two could be either one with her. She's that awesome. So one year they moved the event around to see, they're doing all these beautiful things to accommodate all these riders. So once they realized that you can't bring kids, that was another problem. One year they wanted us to babysit their kids for them while they're riding their bikes <laughs> while we're traveling from one venue to the next, you know, crazy things like that. But by the time they got into like the third year, they changed the time frame to October where, where our area was. And mind you, they're all over the world. So this was just the one location for them. But for me, it was the only time I worked with their crowd of people. And this one year in late October, there was a rainstorm overnight. Now we have a tent on the ground. We have a tarp to cover up the dirt and that's the extent of it. It's, there's no kitchen. You got to realize we had to build a kitchen out of, you know, each day when we'd move and it's a hill. We're down the hill and all the people who were sleeping in tents woke up at four o'clock in the morning in several inches of water. They're just sleeping in water. So that's about the time when we start to wake up and cook the food for breakfast. We did a hot breakfast every day and it was just so well received. People loved it. We had always some kind of special scrambled eggs, whether we threw feta and you know peppers in there or extra cheese or whatever it was. We always had some kind of special scrambled eggs for everybody. And we always had some kind of breakfast meat, whether it was uh, bacon or sausage. And we always had to have that vegan table set up, mind you. And so we would do this mojo scramble for them with tofu. At the time, that's about all the vegans were eating. It's kind of sad the first year. We did get better at that over time. But they woke up in this pool of water. And while they were waking up to it, we were walking through it. Because the buffet table in that particular location was on the other side of this mud river that accumulated overnight. The lane that took you through the entire campground had become a mud river. And so, you know, there's tree roots exposed and big boulders and little rocks and uneven terrain and potholes, of course, because that's what happens in a campground. And we just had these little headlamps on because it's still pitch black. It's 4.30 in the morning. So all of a sudden we're soaked from our feet up to our heads with just this downpour. And so we very quickly have to move all the tables into this weird little utility building up top that, so they could get their food out of the rain. Cause there's nothing you can do to keep the fires lit under the sternopans when it's raining sideways like that. 
and they need food. They're now frozen for who knows how long sleeping in this tent with this cold water. And so we suddenly find ourselves cooking food in a tent that's soaking wet. The, the water, the ground is just moving. There's so much mud. It's like a little mini mudslide. And I know I'm totally making this sound more exciting than it really was. All we knew is we were head down, going back and forth, back and forth. So when they moved the buffet station where we put the food, it tripled our walking span between our kitchen and where we were setting up. And they have a very tight schedule because this was a hundred mile day coming up and their dinner or their breakfast had to be served at 530 in the morning. And none of us as food service people were comfortable with that time frame. So we pretty much tried to stay awake all night just to be able to function in the morning to get this going. It wasn't hard when it's pouring down rain, right? So nobody's going to sleep through that. So we start to get everything ready and all this is happening and we're just drenched and these poor riders come in and they can't even take a hot shower at this point. The, the campground was so lame that they didn't even have hot water. So these people eat their breakfast and get on a bike at five 30 in the morning after they've been laying in a cold mud pile in their tent for who knows how long. And they've just got to go like that. And for a hundred miles. By the time we met them at the next campground for dinner that night, they were just a ratty, like if you see a cat out in the rain in the city somewhere in a movie, it was like that, times 150. So we had lasagna that night for dinner. We had a kitchen that day. It was really cool. We tried to plan it where some of these campgrounds would have uh, a kitchen or like a meeting room or something so that we would get a break in the middle where we could sterilize all the equipment and get dried up and, you know, feel like humans again halfway through Cause you're running on no sleep. You're running on, you know, you do breakfast at five 30 and then you got to um, tear down the kitchen after the breakfast buffet is fed everybody and greeted them and been on top of it. Then you take all that down. We had a, a yogurt bar and a bagel bar and a um, fresh fruit and, scrambled eggs and vegan stuff that was all the same, but vegan and, um, you know, bacon and sausage. And it was a lot. And then, oh yeah, coffee. Can't forget the coffee. The average person would go through 20 ounces of coffee. When we figured it out with 150 to 175 riders in, to feed every morning, we would go through, oh my gosh, we went through, I can't remember the ounces now, but one of those big, tall, um, with 90 cups worth in the spigot thing. What's that called? The Cambro thing. We would go through four of those every single morning before. So that was 360 cups of coffee that would be drained. I don't know how they got on those bikes after that, but they always did. But we would uh, meet them at the next spot. And we were usually ahead of the game because, you know, they'd stop for a picnic somewhere midday. By the time we saw these people at the end of the day with the rain out the way it was, we were all a mess. So the lasagna routine was, was beautiful. It worked out great. So we had that made up in advance and frozen and brought it in, in coolers. And then as it would thaw throughout the week, you know, each day they'd get a little bit closer to thawing. We timed everything for the week based on, you know, what's going to thaw the third day? What's going to thaw the fourth day so that we can make things at home in our commercial kitchen where we can control the quality better. And the system was beautiful. It really worked well. Well, I'll tell you what, when they got to that 
next space, they were so hungry. Their bodies had burned through so much extra energy trying to get warm after taking a bike ride for 100 miles anyway, on top of the fact that they'd been shivering on very little sleep all night and soaking wet. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they didn't all just die. So they showed up and there was this one guy on this particular ride that was just the biggest bully you've ever seen. He had a puffy orange jacket on and he had three or four minions who were always running around with him going, I'm cool because I'm hanging out with the bully. And he was just a jerk. He'd cut in line all the time. He'd pile up his plate with forward portions of everything, even though he didn't pay for that with the when he ordered his his spot on the ride. And you know, this is a nonprofit, so they're trying to keep everything tight budget. And you know, I've got to think about that too on my end. So giving them a good deal, not having a lot of food waste. Of course, that's the other name of the game. You don't want to waste food. That's part of our climate's problem, is all this waste. We, they say in America, we waste 40% of the food that's produced. It's just insane. So I'm always trying to flirt with the edge of disaster in food portions because these people are ravenous. If they put it on their plate, whether they eat it or not, they're, it's gone. So this guy is loading up. He cuts in line in front of these people who've not even been in, in the line yet. And he starts hogging all this lasagna. And... I just had been dealing with him all week and he kept on doing the same thing. He took spoons right out of people's hands as they were scooping food. He was just a big jerk and everybody was pissed at him all the time. And so I finally told him, I said, could you please just limit yourself to two servings right now and then come back to the line after everybody's had a chance to get their meal because what you're doing is really uh, not cool. And um, I didn't say the last part out loud. Because I didn't want him to, you know, be embarrassed. <laughs> so I kept on trying to guide him to having some manners. And this was the last straw. By the time we got to lasagna night, I was ready to take him around the corner and spank him like a little toddler who was misbehaving. Because that's what he was acting like. And the man must have been 40 years old. So I see him coming through. I see him taking all the lasagna. I've asked him to please wait until everybody has a chance to have a first portion before he mobs the whole thing and he reaches across the buffet and puts his face two inches from my face and says big boys gotta eat boom and backs off wheels around and takes his big fat plate of food and starts laughing maniacally I was so angry I couldn't see straight it was just all I could I could stand to even not cry in the middle of my business crunch time. It was so awful. I was so embarrassed that I was so upset with his behavior. So I handed my ladle to somebody on the staff who was watching this whole thing go down. I said, I need a minute. And she saw my lip quiver. So she knew. <laughs> I went back in the other room and just started ranting and freaking out. And Adrian, who was my husband at the time, very short man, he was about five, four and um, Hispanic looking and he marched out there and he got the guy who would not listen to me for several days in a row, pulled him off to the side. And I guess he must've looked like a shark in the eyes because he said, you hurt my lady's feelings. Do we have a problem? And the guy just about peed on his own leg. He was so embarrassed and he was so called out and he was so mortified that he apologized to Adrian. And Adrian's like, well, you didn't do it to me. You need to apologize to her because that's just, just really unacceptable. You need to have some manners. So for the rest of the week, this big bully 
kissed my grits like nobody's business. He asked how much he could have. He asked if I could serve him the right amount. <laughs> and he got over it. It was great. It was really, really cool. I loved it. And so the other thing I loved about that particular trip was how the team starts to blend with my team. The clients became my family. And for 10 years, we had this adventure together. And I will definitely be back to share more stories about the climate ride because they rock and I miss them so much. I would do just about anything to be able to cater for their rides again. I don't have any equipment left. I sold everything to get better when I had an adrenal crisis in 2020. And I don't regret it. I had to. I was going to die. So sold my beautiful commercial kitchen, closed the business down, which, you know, two years of no work is not going to be recoverable in my particular industry. I never had deep pockets. I did all the work myself. So I do miss those good old days a little bit. And Blake and uh, Kaylee and Patrick, if you guys are listening, I love you guys. And I really hope we do get together some way or another. I'm not going to be riding on a bike anytime soon, but I sure love the stories. And I'll be back in a little while to give you some more. Hope you're having a great day.